Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's another episode of the Bolton E-Bikes podcast. Recently at the Sea Otter Classic, I made a point to visit as many interesting electric bike vendors as I could. And one of those was Christini Bicycles because of their unique bicycles. I don't see anybody else doing anything remotely close to this. So I'm excited today to have Steve Christini the founder of Christini Bikes on the podcast. So stick around. I think this is going to be interesting and we're going to learn a lot about a unique two-wheel drive electric bike and maybe a little bit more. Well, welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thank you for taking the time out of your evening to, to be on today. All right. Thanks, Kyle. appreciate you having me on. Excited to tell you guys about what we're doing and and the, the long history of this as well. Happy to be here. You have been around for a while. And this is kind of interesting because normally we get people on the podcast or just other founders of e-bike companies. And usually they've started fairly recently. You know, every once in a while we get a company that's been around for more than five years, sometimes as long as 10 years, but it's really rare. But for you, it's kind of like you might not have been into e-bikes for quite that long, but your company's been around for a while. I don't actually know how long. Yeah, that's that's true. We've been around for a long time. And it's uh, actually, the, the company was founded in 1999. So it's a real long time. But uh, 2001 would have been, so 20 years ago would have been the, um, the first year that we had a production all-wheel drive slash two-wheel drive bike. So it's been a long time, 20 years. And I'm assuming, unless there's something I don't know about, that that was not an electric bicycle 20 years ago. No, it was not. It was uh, all pedal, and we still do those. We have a full line, um, like a lot of companies. So we're not just e-bikes, but the technology that was our secret sauce, so to speak, and the stuff that launched the company was our drivetrain technology, which was unique at the time and still is unique. It's been integrated in a lot of different types of bikes and different companies and we have a lot of history with big companies little companies but you're right we were all pedal powered back then and i mean the concept of e-bikes was floating around but there was you know there was no battery tech to really support where we are now so um, the e-bike side of things we evolved into that when we kind of revisited the bicycle tech about um, about seven years ago now is when we got back into to building bicycles again so you started with bicycles, and did you kind of transition more solely into motorcycles and other things at some point? Yeah, so you know, I could give you the quick history timeline because it'll probably frame the whole discussion of where we are now and why. But we started as regular bikes back in '99. We developed the tech in '01. We launched. Um, we actually did a partnership back then. We were doing development for with uh, Raleigh Diamondback actually back then, and we almost were acquired by to be the Diamondback design team and part of that team. So we did a bunch of tech back in the day that was pretty relevant to that day and age. Um, but we also did a license agreement. If anybody's floating around out there with a Jeep all-wheel drive bicycle, that was ours that we built for them for several years. We did a co-marketing thing. And so we had a good run in the beginning of the bicycle days. We did a bunch of development with Trek and Gary Fisher and that's some funny stories about Gary Fisher. And I've never been able to get him as a podcast guest. If you got a connection there, you know, help me out with that one. 
Yeah, well, I sat at his kitchen table uh, talking talking bikes back then, and he he had a great story about 29ers and why you know our our technology was they were evaluating. We were working on the track at the time, and he had one of a couple one of our demo bikes to kind of evaluate whether it was something that they might look at. And they were, he basically summed up the bike industry at that time was very much into weight and efficiency and rolling efficiency and things obviously much different now with e-bikes but the thing that he talked about was they were trying to get 29ers into dealerships at that time and it was like dealers didn't want it it was too foreign it was too different even though the science of it and the, the rolling resistance all the things made sense there was always this resistance not unlike what we saw with e-bikes not too long ago right it was like oh too different not really a bike something different that was actually a lesson learned that transitioned into what we're doing now. But we had a good run at the bicycle side of things for a while, but we could never get a critical mass of selling bikes. And, um, you know, being in the industry yourself for some time, this is the, the transition to, to motorcycles. It wasn't a natural transition, so to speak. We actually were doing development and technology development, and we built a prototype Honda motorcycle, Honda 450, and we, we showed up at Interbike which to those on the podcast who don't know that, that was the legacy trade show for many, many years. It was. It was a great show while it went on. It did. It was. And it used to be huge, right? And we're, we're talking back 2003, four back when it was the thing, right? So we took a motorcycle to the bicycle show of all things and up walks for Japanese guys, a couple who could speak English, a couple who couldn't with name tags that weren't Japanese names. And uh, they're like, like hovering around our, our motorcycle, even though we're at the bus, we had all our, our all-wheel drive bikes there. And the one guy walks up to me, taps me on the shoulder, and brings me to the back. And it was the head of Honda Power Sports US. And the the irony of this whole thing is that it, the, these are all the motorcycle guys. The guy looking at the bike was the head engineer that developed the CRF motor platform for Honda the old timer engineer, like the genius. I, I actually, his name escapes me, but that's what started the, the moto side. They were at the bicycle show, the head of the motorcycle group and his guys from Japan, the lead engineers for the motorsports group were at the bicycle show to look at suspension technology because the bicycle industry was as advanced or more advanced than the moto industry. Most people think everything for bicycles comes out of moto. It's the other way around. A lot of it, and really when you think about it, it makes sense because you can't really afford to prototype all the time in moto, but there's a million back garage mechanic guys coming up with these different ideas. And you you know this, you've seen a million different weird things and cool things, And but the, the bike industry lends itself to inventors. Absolutely. Yeah. People can tinker with things in the garage, throw it on their bicycle, go ride it, see if it works, try something else. Yeah. Without spending 10 grand or 20 grand, which you have to in the moto industry to do something different. Right. So, but that's our story of how we transitioned from bikes into moto. We got pulled in because we got, we went right into an NDA with them back in the day. We started doing development with Honda. Um, We transitioned all our resources and focus into um, power sports at that point. And then that transition and led us for a good 10 or so years in power sports until lo and behold, we got a call back from the, an adventure athlete who's like on our website, you know, the pics, the videos and pictures you see on the front of our website, this woman, Kate Leeming from Australia contacted us about building her a fat bike 
for an expedition across Antarctica. Mm, yes, I've definitely seen that one. Yeah, so that's what, yeah, it, we weren't building bicycles at the time. We actually took a pause because we were so focused on moto and, you know, the bicycle side, our, really our angle there was to partner with a bigger company because we weren't big enough to really become our own brand, but we really had a tech that was positioned to be inserted as a model extension. That was our plan and it never really happened. And then we got swooped right into the moto industry and started doing the same type of thing with the motorcycle guys who were much more focused and interested. You know, there was other companies, KTM, we worked with Polaris, BMW, a bunch of different companies in development, all who have prototypes and various levels of almost went into production, but didn't for whatever reason, including KTM. But Kate pulled us back into to bicycles. And at that time, this was 2013 going into really by the time we decided to build her bike was like by 2015. So still a few years ago. Which if nobody has seen this bike, if you're listening at some point, pause or at the end of this episode, go to his website and check it out. Even though it's like totally unique and not something I assume you want to build a bunch of. It's cool to look at, to see like this fat bike. And it's, it's just a totally unique design. The more you look at it, the more you're going to be like, wait, how did they do that? And it's, it's going to get you thinking for a little bit. It's, it's pretty cool. So just put that plug in there for you. People, go check out this fat bike th- to cross long distances of snow that he's talking about. It's really unique. It is unique, and you got to be a little, little crazy to want to do what she's been able to do and what she's yeah, – I mean, she's an amazing athlete. And, yeah, she's circumnavigated the globe, I think, the equivalent of almost two times with all the expeditions she'd done. It's a crazy amount of – yeah, she's uh, an amazing person. and. And, you know, we knew about that time when we decided to build this, it's really the way to make this technology shine and really its full potential, much like the motor side, is to put a power plant behind it. And, you know, motors were becoming more reasonable. Batteries were finally becoming more reasonable. And that's when we really dove into building the first e-bikes was back um, right around 15, 16. And I, I, I think it was 2016 is when we put the first bottom bracket motor system on one of our bikes and you know almost really kind of surprised ourselves in a way that the the power delivery into the drive system made the whole bike really come to life and become much more versatile and useful so that's that was probably the longest answer to your short question (laughs) (laughs) of where did this come from but it's it's a really i mean it's a great story from a you know anybody out there who's aspiring to to do something or build something or you know it's sometimes it's not the door that first opens that leads you to the final thing and you know we're back now full bore on uh on the e-bike side because the opportunities there and we're, we are unique and we've got a little niche so that's how we got back to where we are so i gotta backtrack way back to the very beginning of this and ask a question too which was what was your reasoning to create an all-wheel drive pedal bicycle at the very beginning? Like, why did you think this doesn't exist and I need to, to make this and develop this? Yeah, so many, many a person will ask, you know, and we even get this comment sometime and I kind of chuckle because they say, well, you know, you create a solution to a problem that didn't exist, right? But with those things, you can also say, you know, pretty much all technology that we have, people don't envision the thing that, they now have from computers to originally what it was CDs, shaped skis, all these different things, right? I mean, I would argue that e-bikes were not 
invented are not being used the way that people that create them think they should be used. <laughs> so that's exactly it. And and you just helped segue right into the answer to your question for me. So we came up with, uh, or I came up with the idea. Honestly, I was this was way back in college. It was a senior project actually um, that we did the first you know, two wheel drive. Well, can we call it a two wheel drive initially? Because I didn't really understand the full benefit and concept, but I knew what I wanted to try to do. But I was out for a ride on a trail that I always, you know, loop that I'd always do, and it had just rained. And there was one hill that I could not get up, and it was a pretty simple problem: you know, rear wheel spinning. And you're like, okay. Everybody just chalks that up to get off the bike and push. No, we don't want to do Actually, that. Actually, <laughs> yeah. Right. Now, yeah, you have power with a lot of e-bikes to just muscle through things or, you know, but traction was always the Achilles heel for a lot of things. And, you know, you lose your pedal stroke back in the day and you're done. It doesn't matter if you could get traction, you, you lose your balance and your momentum and you're off. Yeah. I'm thinking about right now, this is a perfect time to have you on the podcast because this is fresh on my mind because there's snow and ice on the ground right now where we're at. And all week I've been trying to film new e-bike models and different things, but I'm fighting with just the snow aspect. And I remember the very first time I tried to ride through snow was not on an e-bike. It was on my mountain bike, on the mountain biking team in high school. And it was just a 26 by, you know, two inch tire in snow. And it didn't work at all. <laughs> I tried it, but it was just like, this is just too hard. Like you said, you, you give a nice hard pedal stroke, you slip and you just lose all momentum and you just stop and you just can't get going again. So I can totally envision your, the problem you were having. That's exactly it. And, and it becomes, you all, like you said, it's like, okay, I'm not even going to bother trying because you're so far from making it functional and useful that it's not worth it. But I had come up with this idea because it, it, the drive system tech that I was working on actually was I was doing some repairing of all things model helicopters for a hobby shop near my university and I uh, I was working on a tail rotor drive system at the time that this idea popped into my head where to put the drive shaft inside the frame and through the head tube which is where all our tech and our patents came right around centering the drive shift system so that you could have steering without inhibiting the traction so that's where the drive system concept came from but the functionality of it was to not lose traction so people get really confused about they're like oh that's dumb on a two-wheel drive what it's going to be heavy it's going to add more friction well all these things are true in a certain sense but not in the way that it's designed and nor is an all-wheel drive car and that's the reason we call it all-wheel drive two-wheel drive is akin to four-wheel drive on a truck. You lock it in four-wheel drive. And if you run your four-wheel drive pickup truck in locked four-wheel drive, you get about four miles to the gallon, five miles to the gallon, because it's all locked. They're fighting each other. It's like that's a locked traction system. All-wheel drive transfers power to the wheel that needs it. And it used to be mechanical, which is what ours is, and now it's a lot of electronic clutching. But that's what our concept wasn't to power and pull the front wheel as much as keep the rear wheel from slipping. You, you mentioned the pedal stroke, losing the pedal stroke. That's how our system works. We run a ratio differential, um, meaning the front has a free wheel hub. Both wheels spin the same speed on the ground, they roll, and then when the rear loses traction, it transfers power to the front, but it doesn't really pull the bike as much as it keeps that rear wheel from over spinning. It does it instantly. So rather than spinning and losing your traction, it'll stop 
pull the bike forward just a bit until the rear regains traction and then it disengages automatically by the ratio system. So that's why we call it all-wheel drive. And also, we like to, to boast that it's traction control. It's not a pulling system. It, otherwise, you couldn't steer it. The bike is pulled at the front. You know, I'm sure you've tried probably many two-wheel drive electric bikes, right? You know, they have their benefit on road where there's, there's traction. You take them off-road, if you have an overpowering front hub motor and the rear starts spinning, it's a handful. It becomes difficult to steer in certain situations. And, and they do work, but the more aggressive you get in the riding, the more the front and the rear have to talk to each other. And they can do that with a ratio system. That's what a rally car does. That's what all the drive traction control does. And our system, although it seems complex, is 2.4 pounds. So that weighs you know, significantly less than, you know, a lot of things that people would expect. Yeah, that really doesn't sound bad at all. I mean, I've, I've seen the system in person and the drive shafts and everything, and I would have assumed it weighs a bit more than that. Um, so that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, the, the drive, you know, we have two different systems. There's a aluminum gears, Teflon hard-coated aircraft aluminum and that you know and then we have a steel gearing system that we're now putting out some of the higher power bikes because they will last a little longer but the, the drive shafts are hollow they're aluminum and hollow drive shafts can handle a lot of load if they're the right diameter so so you're right it's the perception is back to your initial question oh tool drive what's the point and the point is traction control well the benefits are that you can deliver power without losing your momentum and traction now add a motor to it and everybody who's ridden an e-bike off-road you know you know you have a lot of power to actually be able to deliver all that power is usually a limit of your riding skill or your traction a lot of the motors are now so powerful that there's not a lack of power it's a lack of how do you deliver that power yeah and i definitely had that problem today as we're hitting snowy patches on the trail you know, we're, we're getting to points where it's like all of a sudden you hit a patch of snow, you start sliding. And if we were going uphill, I was on uh, our new mountain bike with a mid drive that's around 500 watts, 750 peak. The other guy riding with me was on a thousand watt mid drive bike. And at certain points, you just, that rear wheel just starts slipping and you're, you're just kind of sliding around fighting traction, hoping that you don't stop moving forward because then it's hard, really hard to get going again. Because I haven't ridden one of your bikes yet. Well, we'll hopefully that's a yet. Oh, yeah. um, that's a yet, yeah. <laughs> that, then, uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, oh, man, it would have been really nice if that front tire just, like you said, if it's instant that starts grabbing as soon as the rear is slipping, that just seems like it's really nice. And, and totally different from like a two-wheel drive with two-motor type system. And I think that's uh, that's probably a hard thing for people to understand is that they're not the same. Well, it is. It is. We get that a lot when people are asking about our bikes. Like, well, you know, I was thinking about that. It's like they're not even, they're two different animals. Like you're talking something that will give you power and speed with two motors, but the ability to ride like our bike and those bikes in the same conditions are two, two different animals. And one thing that can kind of drive this point home is that one of the biggest things that people say about our bikes the first time they get on it, the biggest surprise is how not different it is, except when it does these things we just talked. They're expecting it to be like really weird. Like they get on it and they're like, oh, it's going to feel weird or heavy or something. But all of a sudden they run and they're like, I don't feel anything. It's like, that's the point. 
they'll go up that hill and then they go up the hill and all of a sudden the rears normally they'd be like wait a second i didn't spin at all and the nice thing about our bike is there's a handlebar lever switch you can turn it off we would always use this in short demos say ride that hill with it off come back ride it with it on and boom it's amplified when you get a motor one relevant very relevant story i think with that we did back um with the moto side and it would be you know comparative and maybe we should do the same test with e-bikes is we had um bunch of editors for motorcycle magazines doing a demo with our motorcycles and they we had them do a loop a timed loop i, I forget how far with it in single wheel rear wheel drive because you can turn it off on the motorcycles as well and then they came back and did the same loop with it in two wheel drive in every single editor i think there were six of them expert level riders former pros thought they were faster in rear wheel drive and all six of them were faster on the loop in two wheel drive and the reason was that they were sliding and they're so used to the perception of it sliding and skidding and that, you know, that's how they're used to riding. Yeah. They felt like they were going faster because they're sliding around and doing all this and, and really they're not. That's exactly. And then once the point is, is you're tra- you can deliver all the power in a smooth controllable method. And it's really, it's, it's a simple concept to compare it to when you say it's really just an all wheel drive car in the snow. But take it in all things. There's a reason why Audi markets all-wheel drive better in the rain. All-wheel drive because it it does subtle things that you normally wouldn't notice, but it is doing something. Right, and I think one of the distinctions, just just for those listening, because I've seen the bike in person, and and you kind of already mentioned it, but this is completely a mechanical system as far as how it works with traction control and everything. That that lever, there's no electrical switch. It's just a mechanical disconnect or reconnect but uh, it's it really does make it really simple in the way that it works and obviously i'm not opposed to electric things <laughs> being involved on bicycles but yeah the mechanics of it is just like oh this is really there's not much to this that's true and every that's one of the questions like oh there's more things for maintenance and stuff i said listen take a look at your 12 speed derailleur your eagle derailleur what the complexity and the precision of that versus our just simple drive system with three gear sets, it far exceeds like, you know, there's there's a lot of leeway with our drive system for things that wear out and still work. Whereas, you know, people are just used to things, especially now with e-bikes and the motors and the gear reduction systems, there's there's a lot going on. And, you know, let's face it, gears have been around for a long time and it's not, there's no rocket science to it. And in our system also, I mean, I'm not going to take credit for, like coming up with the concept, I borrowed the concept. This is Subaru and Audi in the 60s did this exact same ratio system with front freewheel clutches on their rally cars. It was basically overrunning clutch technology so they could still steer and still control it. And like I just squished it into a two-dimensional vehicle instead of four wheels, really, a two-wheel vehicle. So um, same exact concept, same benefits, same type of power delivery tech. It's just in one one line instead of four wheels. So, And this may kind of go back to your, your motorcycle example. I don't know if I'm asking this question right the way, but, but does the fact that when people ride it and they have the traction control basically function enabled, the fact that they don't even really notice it's working, does that kind of, I guess the way I'm asking this is like, does that help people's perception or does that make it a more difficult sell because they don't even really see that it's doing its job am i masking that the right way <laughs> or is that making sense yeah no no that it's true it, it's actually it's a benefit because it's 
subtle, but it's it's noticeable. There's there's not a person who will ride the bike in any meaningful time. Maybe five minutes might not be enough, but if you're out even 15 or 30 minutes and you do a small loop, people just come back with like a smile on their face. Now, not, the bike isn't always for the person, right? Like there's different types of bikes, and but everybody notice what it does. And it does some things in situations that you know, like an off camber or like say a rut, a rut's a perfect example. Everybody knows I got to, I got to pop my wheel up to get out of that rut or I'm going to bite it. Well, you can turn on the power, especially with the e-bike, just put some power and, you know, most of our bikes have throttle overrides that you push and just steer into the rut. It'll claw right out of a hole or a rut. I mean, you got to be prepared for what it's going to do, but you can, once you know what it's going to do, it's a totally different thing, but it becomes functional. So yeah, these it's subtle, but it becomes it's obvious, and then it's really up to the person riding the bike whether it's the type of riding they want to do. Now, if we go after and we we at least envision this bike if, from a larger scale being really towards utilitarian. You know, the outdoor hunter, the the, the guys may pull on a trailer and in those segments. But we also do, you know, we're doing our we're finishing up our full suspension bike now. We've redesigned and done some neat things with that and. So that'll be coming out soon, but that market's also very particular, right? You know, you're talking trying to go up against the likes of Specialized and Trek, and those guys isn't exactly, in, you know, those the people buying those types of e-bikes are usually purist or diehard mountain bikers. And our bike's cool, and it does neat things, but it's not necessarily something that every one of those guys are going to buy. But the guy doing snow biking or the guy doing back and forth hunting and pulling stuff, there's it has real world benefits for the those types of guys. And much like, you know, e bikes and then fat tire e bikes have their own segment and, and um you know, like I said, the the key here was to put power behind it with a drive system. Then all of a sudden, you know, you mentioned the guy you're riding with today was on a, a thousand watt system and that's a lot of power for an e bike, right? So it's more power than you really need for most things, but it's nice to be able to utilize that power. And, and if you have a way to deliver more power to the the ground controllably, it becomes even more interesting. Right. Because today our limitation was not power. It was traction. Right. We couldn't ride as quickly as the bike is capable of because you just, we couldn't put the power to the ground. You know, it's just not possible with that all that power going to the rear wheel is just not going to happen. True. And, you know, something when you're talking about traction that I wanted to mention too, that's hard to wrap your head around this, but it also does do this traction control with the larger system because the front and the rear are coupled. It also works in a downhill situation and it does some pretty amazing things on cornering and what it does there. Um, you know, and you can take today as an example on your ride. If, if you're going down a steep hill, that's slippery, the front, if you turn, and it starts, the front starts to skid, you know, or, or jump a little bit. Essentially, what's happening is decelerating in reference to the rear wheel. Now, you don't need to be pedaling. Our drive system comes off the rear wheel hub. So the rear wheel won't allow the front to go slower than the rear in that scenario. So you can actually have be coasting down the hill and turn around a corner. And if the front starts to slide in a straight line, because that's the nature of your, you know, your, the gravity and projectile, that, the rear will be pushing that front in a forward motion through the drive shaft. So you can actually have a two wheel slide around the corner, an aggressive corner. So think about 
maybe not as much on e-bikes, but um, a downhill bike. If you're going to be going downhill, the faster you go around a corner, your limits on downhill biking is cornering ability and, and some other things, obviously. But cornering is one of them. But if you can control your slide around a corner without the front skidding, because it, it'll be pushed, then so it's got a traction benefit up and down, so to speak. So anytime there's power to the front, whether it's through the motor or just through momentum, it's going to transfer that. So that's kind of an interesting. You're going to have to wait until you get one in your hands to, uh, you know, and then you're going to push it down the hill. Yeah, to, to experience that. Yeah, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't have really thought of that in a downhill scenario. That's kind of interesting to try and wrap my head around. Yeah, and you know, the I bet probably one of the easiest ways to wrap your head around it is is to, and I do this at like a show. I'll pick a bike up, like a regular bike, and you, you turn the, the the handlebars and you push the bike forward, and the front will just kind of bounce and skip on the front. Well, if the rear is on the ground, it's rolling forward. Well, our drive system, because it's rolling forward, is going to make that front wheel spin as well. So it, it's hard to envision, but when you get a bike, you'll be able to check it out. Or you can envision an Audi commercial. You know, they used to have those Audi commercials, car going around the corner in the rain, and you can see the front wheels spinning. You know, it's the same type of thing. Got it. Now, I, I can definitely envision, I'm kind of jumping back a little bit again, but uh, as far as who's buying these, I was thinking in my head, you've got people that ride regularly in snow. This might be something they're they're looking at, or mud, or just any kind of just loose conditions or soil or thing where they feel like, they're fighting for traction, you know, as you're talking about it, you know, that's, that was my initial thought. Uh, like when I went to Sea Otter and I wanted to see your bikes in person, cause we sell a fair amount of fat bikes and people are wanting to ride on, on the beach or in sand. And that's a reason they're looking for fat tires. But now that you're talking about it and now that I'm thinking about how the riding was today, <laughs> you know, less than ideal conditions, I was like, man, this, this actually sounds like this would be a ton of fun on a mountain bike. Uh, which I assume is why you are working on that full suspension design you mentioned earlier. Yeah, no, and it is the fun factor is it's there. It really is cool because you, you know, the trails that are near us here, you know, we're in Philadelphia and we have um, some fast, like vertical and not rocky trails that are right in the city in this park. And it, it, they're, you know, to have a bike that uh, a fat tire is really not necessary. I mean, then you have the snow, but it's a fun bike to ride in all these different various conditions. So it makes, you know, certain types of trails, obviously, if you go off trail, you can do crazy things. But just in general, it, it changes dynamics of the ride. And before the motors came along, we had to always, you know, fight the thing of, okay, well, it's extra weight. And yeah, there is a little bit of extra friction, albeit it's not that much. Anything is negative when you're, you know, you're pedaling, right? But if you got a motor behind you, let's face it, at this point... It's not such a big deal. <laughs> yeah, the tech has come so far that you're usually physically tired by the time your battery's dead anyways, and you're like, that has had enough, right? Depending on how you're riding. It's really one of those things where it, it'll be, you know, we'll have to talk about which bike will make sense for you to play with first when we get in one. But, um, you know, even right now, the hardtail with, you know, the suspension... Or, you know, full suspension. I mean, they're both going to be a, a neat bike to, to play with. So. Well, interesting. What do you guys usually, I mean, it's not, yeah, I know you get your hands on everything. Out there, but what, <laughs> do you have daily, daily riders or are you guys really just doing everything? Depends on what comes through the door. Let's go ride this today. Or 
fat or regular mountain or is it a little bit of uh, that's a good question. So we have an interesting mix of, of people working here at Bolton E-Bikes. So I grew up uh, always just riding bikes as a kid. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was on a mountain biking team in high school. Uh, we have here in Northern California some really nice single track mountain bike trails. And so that's what I rode on a lot growing up and, and still enjoy a lot today. Uh, and thankfully, right where our shop is at, we can go, I should measure it one of these days, but it's probably like half a mile down the road and jump right onto some single track trails. That's the awesome part is like you have this single track that goes right alongside the road. Like if I'm riding home and I ride an e-bike to work or to back home, I can hop on single track trails. And yeah, it's slightly longer than just staying on the road, but obviously it's way more fun. <laughs> That's what I really enjoy is those single track trails. Uh, and another one of the guys here in shop was really into mountain biking when he was younger as well. And then we've got one of my good friends that works for me, knew him in elementary school growing up, eventually hired him to work here. Before I had an e-bike business, we would go mountain biking together as well. And, and a lot of the different people that work here went off to work in more like electronics type industries working for companies that were making electric vehicle chargers and things like that. So so even though none of us are like pro-level mountain bikers or anything, <laughs> definitely not, there was this crossover where it's like, oh, we really enjoy and have experience with electronics. But then at the same time, we have these hobbies on the side of mountain biking. And you put those things together and like, that's e-bikes to me. Like, there's no place where you can go today to like learn how to work on electric bicycles in school. Like that's not a subject yet. <laughs> I fully expect that one day it, it will be. But I would say right now, most of our guys are really enjoying uh, some of the full suspension mountain bikes we just uh, brought in. Uh, and a lot of our customers still enjoy a lot of the hardtail fat bikes. But if I had to say our, our favorites this week, definitely we're, we're, we've been riding the mountain bikes a lot and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, we'll kind of plan on that being the thing we get out there. I mean, you know, hopefully we're getting plenty of snow out there so you can get on the get on some of those trails too. When things are things are right with our our, our full suspension, that sounds like something we can get out there for you guys to play with a little bit. I would definitely be interested in uh, in doing a test on that. That would be <laughs> interesting to see. I also feel like our current customer base, and this is just kind of an average and. And we're working on new models to appeal to a wider audience. But we've got a lot of customers that are, you know, in their 50s, 60s, even 70s, even a few customers in their 80s, recently retired, uh, have more time on their hands. And they just want to get out on the trails again, like when they were younger and have fun. But they also want to be safe about it and have a very good, stable bike. And I think... And this is just my perspective. I think that something, what you have, is something they actually might really enjoy if they thought about it in that way. That, hey, here's a mountain bike, you know, so you can go mountain biking like you did 15 years ago, but it's going to be more able to just stick to the trails, not slide, not wipe out. I would assume your risk of crashing is lower. I don't know how you would prove that or put a percentage on it, but it seems like that would be a selling point. 
No, it, 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 it's true. You're you're right. It becomes a more stable, like functional bike in that way. And it's like you said, there's no way to prove the percentage, but there is a there is some percentage. And for some people, you know, that like so the the added complexity and costs are like, ah, oh, no, I don't want that. And then there's others that yeah, give me every incremental benefit that you can give us. And that's actually you know, we we supply the military with motorcycles, a special ops, and we also do some e-bikes now and starting to do more, but they, much like military guys, they want every little incremental benefit. Um, of course, most of those guys aren't paying for them, right? The government <laughs> is, so, so they'll pay for everything if it's even a, a little bit. But you're right about that. It, it becomes a, a the, the tech lends itself to being a more stable, safer product. Um, how much is, is really difficult to tell. Right. I suppose that's trying to say that fat tires are safer than skinnier tires. Well, I mean, could be. <laughs> it could be. It depends on what you're riding on. If it's, yeah, and then they also like to slip around sometimes, too. It's like, you're right. It's just like any bike. It's got to be the right bike for the right use, just the right tool. That's kind of where it is. So. Well, probably the last question I've got for you, and I think we've already covered it, but I, I think it would just be interesting to hear you sum it up is what do you think the specific advantages of your system would be? Because this is, I assume, the biggest question you're getting from e-bike people. What is the biggest advantage of your system over a bike that just has two hub motors? The main advantage is the traction control versus just powering the front. You know, we, we get people that'll want to say, oh, I'm thinking about the two hub motor thing or yours. Mm-hmm. When I mentioned before, they're totally different, but the system that we have is purely really it's a traction control system it will the rear wheels off the ground on a you know off from a log the front will pull like the front hub motor will however the difference is the way that they talk to each other with the traction control whereas the two hub motors some of the negatives of those is one they don't really talk to each other now you can you can have electronics that do that but you know nobody's really doing that i mean it adds a lot of expense and some different stuff but one of the biggest problems with two hub motors, and you just talked about mountain biking, there really is a limit once you for the weight. I mean, as soon as you start adding a lot of weight to the front hub, especially if you're talking long travel, you know, 150, 60, 70 millimeters of travel, and you put a big honking hub motor on the front, <laughs> game over. That that becomes it's not going to handle very well. Right, it's not really a functional off road thing, and even if the suspension is jacked, the weight of turning that. So our bike. The, the front hub is, there's a freewheel clutch in there, so the front hub's a little heavier, but it, the active suspension isn't affected, and it, there's a, the linear shafts and the way that it all, all works. The traction control is a benefit, and then not inhibiting the front suspension weight when you get into that. Now, if you're talking a rigid bike, you know, some people say a, a fat tire hunting type bike that's slow speed, two hub motors could do the trick, but... Along the same lines is, you know, you, you are also putting a lot of power into both motors and, you know, you got to share it. And, it, you know, so it's a different animal. But once you put suspension in, ours has some significant advantages. Now that there's mid-drive motors that are as powerful as they are, and we put on ours, being able to split that power from there to the rear and to the front without the added motor, it, you know, it can utilize all that power too. Definitely. And I said that last one was the last question, but <laughs> this made me think of one more. On your e-bikes, do you by chance know 
approximately what what any of those weigh. Yeah, just to give you a comparison, I'm going to start with the regular, like our 27.5 plus, which is really 29er. We do plus tires because people like to grind one and stuff, but the geometry is 29er. That that hardtail with a you know like 160 millimeter Rockshox fork, which is kind of customized because we have all our stuff on it. That weighs in at right at 30 pounds, like little over 30. And then the e-bikes, even our Fat Five, which is kind of the big monster one. I think that's the one you were you're looking at at the show. That weighs in right in the mid 60s. So the bikes are actually lighter than some of the other branded e-bikes out there. And part of it, I attribute we're putting really pretty high end components on everything. They're usually SRAM GX level or, you know, we have XOs, but we'll do GX 11s, even the cranks, but the frames, we make everything in, in Philadelphia. We cut well, I mean, they're hand built. So we're not importing these frames. We make everything and we're running just the frames of our bikes are usually a couple pounds lighter than some of these other e-bike frames because we're still using, you know, regular the butted tubing and things. I mean, a lot of the e-bike guys have skipped right past that and said, well, screw it, we're already heavy. So let's save just overbuild, which is a good strategy, right? I mean, you know, you know, we're, we're a little tip for tap. We're running pretty high end, lighter components, wheels, rims, tires, things. And then, you know, we also, our frames are generally a little lighter. So, you know, that adds up to maybe five pounds on that stuff. And then, so once you add the drive system, you know, we're not, we're not coming in any heavier than, you know, other guys out there, you know, that might be in that same space. So I think most people are actually surprised when they, you know, they get on our bikes. Now, granted, we are running the heavy motors, right? That we're using ultra drives. In general, we are playing with some other motors, but you already know that's that's a pretty heavy motor, but you're, we're going after that power market, right? And it's, you know, so people expect it to have that low, heavy center of gravity weight, that's awesome because you see definitely most mid-drive fat tire bikes are coming in, you know, around 70 pounds or more. You have some exceptions that are carbon frames or higher spec bikes, but just kind of the run-of-the-mill bikes people are buying, they're, they're well over 70 pounds. And if you get into the, I'm thinking of a particular brand, I won't name names, but I know there's one that's really well known right now for their dual hub motor e-bikes. And I know those things are like, they start at like 90 some pounds and some of them are well over a hundred pounds. And that's no comparison to mid 60 some pounds. Uh, no. From everything I've seen, everything I hear, you know, if I had to choose a dual hub motor, hundred pound bike or a mid drive motor with your drive system, it just seems like there's a pretty clear winner there in my book. I know the cost is different. But I think it's well justified. <laughs> no, you're right, and you know that comes back to your question about you know hub motors are not light, and when they're they're boasting about like the power that they want to put in those, those, you know, there are small front hub motors. You know, you see them on some commuter bikes and some things, and I don't really know the point of that if you're on the pavement, anyways. But it's like, well, when you put a something that can deliver enough power to the front to do something, it's pretty heavy. And like you said, we can get into suspension dynamics and all that crazy stuff, but there's a reason why you don't see front hub motors. I mean, KTM has a patent on, they still hold it, still active on the front hub motor, motorcycle technology. And they have chased nobody for violating that. Even in the e-bike world, it crosses over because they don't care. <laughs> so they, they know that once you get into long travel suspension, that there's a limit of how well that works. So 
it does work. I'm not saying it doesn't, and it has a spot. But like you said, once you get into dynamics of suspension, you're fighting the laws of gravity. <laughs> so, well, well, thank you very much for sharing all of your insights. I think most of our viewers, uh, hopefully, they've seen the video that I made from Sea Otter where I got to see some of these in person for the first time because I'd seen them online. I'd seen some articles here and there, uh, but that was my first chance. I was like, oh, I definitely want to want to make sure we hit this uh, booth, and it was good to talk to you there and and see the bikes and. Uh, have, like I said, haven't had a chance to ride them yet. So just whoever's listening, know this is this is all subjective based on my experience with with e bikes. But I uh, I hope that I do get the chance to actually do a a more formal ride review or or something more in depth at some point because I I think this uh, these could be a lot of fun. Uh, I look forward to doing that one day. Awesome, we will. Well, thanks so much. Of course, and thank you and. Uh, where should people go? What's your website? Where should they look you up if they want to go check out your bikes? Yeah, so it's uh, it's christinibicycles.com is the website. And then uh, christiniawd is our Facebook and Instagram. You'll see both the moto and e-bike stuff in there. But the, the motorcycle site is just the christini.com. A lot of people end up there, but they can connect to the bicycle site. It's Christini Bicycles. So go there, and the contact info is there. And, you know, we're still, I guess the point is we're still hand building so every bike that we build right now is still low volume is in order we we custom build it and we they picked their color so at a certain point we're going to get past that so we have you know where guys can stock them and people like you guys can you know we can all start to get them out there more but right now it's a it's a very intimate thing we even take pictures and send them to the customers of us cutting welding you know they come back from heat treat so it's a it's a u.s built kind of thing so not a lot of guys are holding the hand so it is kind of a custom build even though the, the, the geometries and things are the same but pick your colors and it's a neat process and people are usually excited about that too because it gives it some you know kind of a, a little personal touch at this point awesome well thank you very much and uh yeah we'll definitely be uh talking to you hopefully at some point in the future perfect Kyle. i really appreciate the time and yeah to everybody that's listening thank you and we will be getting you a bike and then you can do another one you can do a little review on that. Awesome. Okay. And thank you to everybody who is listening uh, to another podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed that, learned a lot of things about how their bikes actually work. And uh, I definitely think there were probably some surprises in there for you about how the whole system just functions, how light it actually is. Really sounds like one of those things that should be more well-known and in more bicycles is my opinion. But that's, uh, again, I'm just one person <laughs> talking up uh, another product. Uh, if you haven't already, make sure to go to ebikepodcast.com, sign up for our newsletter so you can see what new podcast episodes are coming out. And of course, if you want to check out our website, again, boltonebikes.com. Thank you, and I'll talk to you another Tuesday. Tuesday.